You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. Today is the 67th episode, and like we talked about on the last episode, I'm going to talk to you about how you can prepare to go after your insurance company when they deny care. Um, There's a lot of talk, you know, every year more and more about patients being denied something that their doctor recommended or prescribed or ordered by the insurance company. Um, And there's a lot of discussion also about money. You know, our country is great. You know, we have great technology. But the costs of healthcare in the United States are astronomical. And there's a big misconception, I think. I'm going to do a little soapboxing here. But, you know, I think a lot of patients, they're not sure exactly where the money's going. So I'm, I'm currently doing a study, and we're actually starting to see some of the data roll in. And patients far overestimate what the actual doctor gets paid. So I went back just to pull some numbers to put something into perspective because people hear about, you know, the the appendectomy was $40,000 or $20,000 or the joint replacement was fifty dollars to $100,000. Uh, and those numbers, you know, are high. You know, there are a lot of hospitals where um, the cost of those procedures is less. What's really amazing is if you don't have insurance and you can afford it cash, put it on a credit card, it's even significantly less. A lot of places will offer a 30%, 40% reduction for a what we call, you know, quote, cash pay procedure. But what they'll do is inflate it because there's this constant game between, you know, the insurers paying a percentage of the bill and trying to figure out what on that itemized bill was actually charged for which item and how much it was is near impossible, even with all the new laws. The doctors don't actually make the large portion of that money. So, you know, I just pulled up five common orthopedic um, and surgical procedures, you know, just to kind of put into perspective. And these fees that the doctors get um, based on some Medicare data is the fee that the doctor gets paid for your preoperative care and assessment, the surgery, any hospital care, and typically care for 90 days for major surgeries, what's considered the global period. So for a total knee replacement, that's around $1,200 to $1,300. Not $1,000, $1,200 or $1,300 is what your surgeon gets paid to take care of you before, do the surgery, and for 90 days after surgery. For an appendectomy, it's even less, around $600 or $700. An Achilles is around $600 doing an arthroscopic surgery of your knee and a meniscectomy is about 600 and a carpal tunnel release is around 500 So when you see these fees for these surgeries in the tens of thousands, and sometimes for these big, big operations, hundreds of thousands of dollars, just remember that the money's not going into the doctor's pocket. You know, so, so where is all this money going? You got hospitals that are not for profit, insurance companies that are not for profit, and, you know, some of the insurance companies record, especially with COVID, you would think they, they would have lost money, but a lot of patients didn't go to the doctor, didn't have elective surgery, they didn't get preventative care. 
So a lot of these insurers like Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna, CVS, United Healthcare, you know, we're talking about quarter, just per quarter, profits of about $2.3 billion. A lot of these were like 2 to $3 billion in net profits per quarter last year, which is just astronomically high. Billions of dollars, you know, $3 billion per quarter. Now, so that's a lot of money, $12 billion in a year for net profits. Now, obviously, they have to pay some of that stuff out for different things, but that's a lot of money for a not-for-profit organization. And what about the CEOs? I mean, there was an article in our local paper that looked at the healthcare system that I work in. The CEO there, you know, salary was $1.9 million, but they found out that over three years, between extra benefits and things like that, he actually took home about $16 million. So this is a guy overseeing a healthcare system, and at least in our healthcare system, actually some of the lowest hourly rates for the workers, you're talking about the nurses and techs and people that actually work within the hospital. Um, 2017, that healthcare system, about $3.2 billion in profits. Another big healthcare system, probably the two big ones in town, was a little bit more than that, $3.8 billion. But their CEO only took home $1.5 million. Um, and a couple of the other hospitals were $1.7, and the other two were just under $100,000 for the CEO's income. So, I mean, you, you just kind of look at where the money's going, and there's a lot of money going into healthcare. But a lot of that is not necessarily being spent directly on patient care, and it's not all going to the doctors. Because like you, I have to have health insurance for my family. And like you, I've seen my premiums go up year after year after year. And for a lot of us, co-pays have even gone up. You know, you may not have had a co-pay and now it's $20 or $40 for a specialist and it keeps going up. And then the deductibles. So that's the thing. You got to read the fine print. You might say, well, this insurance annual premium is quite low, but it comes with a staggering like $6,000 or $10,000 deductible, you know, which can be financially disabling for most people. So, you know, nowadays, it's very, very important, I think, to have access to healthcare. Um, but like you've heard me say before, that, you know, healthcare should be a right. You shouldn't have to go bankrupt if you have a car accident and break a bone or have a heart attack or have a stroke or have an appen you know, appendix burst or a gallbladder, you know, attack and have to go in and have surgery emergently. That shouldn't make you go bankrupt in this country, in any country for that matter. So there has to be a better way of figuring out how to offer healthcare without causing these astronomical prices where the billions of dollars and millions of dollars are going to the organizations and not being put back to the patients. Because, you know, surprisingly with all that money, you also think we would have the best, you know, outcomes as far as health and wellness and longevity and we actually don't. That's even the scarier thing. You look at all this money floating around in healthcare, and we should be the healthiest, longest living people on this planet, and we're not. So the thing that I really wanted to talk about um, when I step now off the soapbox, you know, is about what happens when you see your doctor and your doctor decides that you need something, right? So maybe it is a test, a blood test, or a special imaging test like an MRI or possibly a surgery. So what happens now is that the doctor can place an order. And that order, a lot of times, doesn't go directly to the insurance company. In a lot of big healthcare systems, it goes into this middle management pool. And they try to decide, hmm, 
Is the doctor right? Is it worth it? Should we send it? Because I've had patients that have called the insurance company right after we've seen them and put the order and the insurance company says, hey, I didn't even get an order. You know, the patient calls back, doctor didn't even put the order. No, 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 we put the order and it just gets held up. So it gets held up by these middle management people. So right away, the doctor loses the ability to make the decision for the patient. And these middle management people take a look and decide, is this appropriate? Is it not appropriate? Should we order it? Should we not order it? So if they order, then they have to gather notes and then they send these notes in. And that could be another delay because I've had patients where I've put in a request for a knee replacement and they pulled notes, but it was from the spine service. So there was nothing even in there about their knee and the insurance company denied it because they didn't have any documentation. So you're relying on lots of other people to kind of gather these notes. Whereas in the old days, you know, it was people in your office took your note that you dictated that day and put together with the insurance and faxed it over, or sent it over, or called the insurance company directly. But now all, there's all these little points. So it goes to the insurance company, and then the insurance company takes a look at it. And they decide, should we deny this? And then you get a denial back, and we'll talk about that. Um, do they do a sort of questionable, like it's not denied, it's not approved, but they request what's called a peer-to-peer review? Um, or do they approve it? Um, So it's always nice when it's approved and you actually are able to get the test or the surgery that your doctor recommended based on their medical expertise. Um, So, but if the insurance company denies it, you do have options. Um, The harder part, which I also want you to be aware of too, is this thing, um, what we call a peer-to-peer review. So this is when the insurance company says, nope, we're not going to approve it. They request a peer-to-peer review. So what is that? A lot of insurance companies now hire doctors. Um, and I've gotten some of these emails like requesting, Hey, you know, we, we need doctors to do these, you know, peer to peer reviews and and medical reviews. And and we're talking like six figure salaries and you basically sit there and they talk to people on the phone. But when you call to set this up, so these are doctors that care for you. They're running a busy office or your surgeons operating and you call these numbers. And most of the time they'll say, you know, we can, there's, there's availability between like 10 and, uh, you know, nine and 11 and one and three, and you have to schedule this time. Um, so you schedule the time and you try to get out of a room or try to get out of between surgeries and call, you know, and if you miss it, you get, sorry, you missed your call. You missed your time slot. Or a lot of times what we'll do is, you know, your staff will try to get someone on the phone And then they'll come and get you. We got the person on the phone and I've literally walked from an exam room into my office, picked up the phone and they've already hung up because they were waiting because you were caring for patients. They were sitting on a phone somewhere. Um, But when you do sit down and you actually do get to speak to this doctor who works for and is paid by the insurance company, which is the person that denied the test or procedure that your doctor ordered, you get the, the basic, you know, information, who are you, the patient information, and then you get the, it will tell me about the case. So That's the other crazy thing is the person that denied your care is never the person we speak to. We speak to someone that doesn't know anything about your care and you basically have to go back and reiterate all of your notes and things that you've done for this patient and why in your medical opinion you believe they need this test or this treatment. And you'll always ask, you know, for me, I'm in orthopedics. So what is your specialty? And you'll get uh, pediatrics, pathology, general surgery, internal medicine. I think once I've spoken to someone who was an orthopedic surgeon. So Again, the person on the other end of the phone who is deciding the fate of your care for the insurance company usually isn't even in the specialty of the problem 
that you have, and they're trying to make these decisions. Um, so occasionally, they'll approve it, and they give you what we call an authorization number. And my secretary gets very happy because she can then authorize the procedure and get the surgery going that the patient's been um, so you know, anxiously waiting for. Um, but occasionally, you get, no, it's denied. And, and that's where I think me and a lot of doctors, when you talk to them, we get very upset and frustrated you know, for the patient because this is something that we're seeing we're taking care of a patient. We believe in our medical opinion, this is the best treatment. And you have some doctor for an insurance company that is essentially rendering care, practicing medicine on a patient that they've never seen. You know, and I'm still waiting for the day where, you know, one of those doctors, insurance companies is going to be held up in court for some malpractice claim because they're going to deny care, which is going to lead to a bad outcome in a patient. Um, and, and that's the things that people are talking about, that people are very concerned about. So, you know, be an advocate for yourself, you know, collect your medical records and really, you know, try to be involved with this, but be nice to your provider and the care team, because just know that behind the scenes, you know, the doctor, the nurse, the medical assistant, the secretary, all those people are actually doing everything they can for you. There's a lot of paperwork and faxing and phone calls and orders, and they might be doing all of their stuff, but it may be getting delayed on the insurance company's side. So even if the insurance company isn't as helpful, don't always believe um, that it's a doctor. Now, be aware, because again, if something is denied, um, you want to get all the information and try to get a contact person at the insurance company that you're dealing with, not just whoever picks up the phone that day. Really see if you can get a person that you would speak to on multiple occasions so they know what's going on. And find out what's going on. Sometimes there's a wrong code. And again, don't get angry at your doctor. You know, previously, we have these series of codes, this ICD coding system, and it used to be ICD-9. Now, ICD-9, most of us knew the codes that we were commonly using, and there were still 13,000 codes, 13,000. When ICD-10 came out, which was supposed to be this upgrade of even more codes for documentation, there are 69,000 codes, and it is just impossible for anybody to have a good grasp of all of those codes. And occasionally, if one of multiple numbers or letters gets transposed or put in correctly, instead of an insurance company coming back and saying, you know what, you coded this wrong, it actually, we believe you know, the code for the approval would have been this, it's just denied. So don't get angry if by accident the doctor has the wrong code, they may need to just adjust it. Um, but understand the coding is another thing that has made healthcare harder for the people that are taking care of you because these codes have gotten even more and more complex. Um, but if your doctor gets a denial, sometimes they will appeal it again um, and they can write letters. Sometimes it's denied for something silly. Like we've had patients that had severe bone-on-bone arthritis, couldn't walk, you know, tried injections, but it was denied because they didn't do formal physical therapy. So, you know, the insurance company is going to spend, you know, usually about like $175, $200 per physical therapy session, but most patients have like a $40 copay. You know, they want six weeks of physical therapy. And guess what? The patient's still going to have bone-on-bone arthritis. They're still going to need a knee replacement. So although exercise may help, and for a lot of us, you know, we, we set patients up at home, so we do what's called a home exercise program, but a lot of insurers will deny because there wasn't formal physical therapy. You know, then I hear the stories after surgery, Therapy's ordered up, denied. You've already used your allotted number of physical therapy sessions for the year. Um, Also, I had one. This was crazy not too long ago. I had a patient that was almost denied surgery because they noted in my note there was no mention of noise coming from the knee. Now, in there, surprisingly, I used the word crepitations, which actually is a medical term for 
basically popping, crunching, and cracking coming from the knee. Um, but when I asked a bunch of other doctors, you know, have you ever heard that? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't know why noise would ever have a bearing on someone's pain or quality of life. And the other thing which the insurance companies look for, at least in my world, is the word severe. So I've had patients denied surgery because the radiology report didn't note severe arthritis. They described it as moderate. And that's where, again, you've heard me talk about the primaries really needing to order weight-bearing x-rays because if you ordered a non-weight-bearing x-ray, you know, maybe I can see that you have horrible arthritis and I'm not going to spend $90 for a standing x-ray for this particular patient. But because the old x-ray said moderate, and it was denied. Now I bring it back to another x-ray. She was, well, what do you know? Severe bone-on-bone arthritis, which I could tell by their deformity in their exam. And now it gets approved. Um, so um, just, just be aware of the reasons for the denial. And again, don't get angry um, at your healthcare team because they are working hard um, to take care of you. So let's say you have a doctor that did it peer-to-peer and you're still denied. So this is... This is the take-home point. This is what um, you can learn from this. So when you write a letter, um, you need to collect all of your information and all of your data, and you're going to write a very thorough but very concise letter documenting the, um, the denial by your insurance carrier. So I've done this myself because um, both you know me and my family members over the years have had issues where a treatment, a drug, or something was denied. Um, And I've been able to win most of those, um, not all of them. Um, But um, I think, you know, going through and knowing the medical field has really helped me sort of generate a letter, which I think gets this approved um, more often than not. So, you know, at the top, really important to have your name, your date of birth, and usually there'll be a reference number on the denial piece of paper that you'll get in your email or your phone. So make sure that all that information is on there. And I recommend faxing it to the fax number and sending it old snail mail to the, you know, um, to the address or email or all three of the above if those are options. And CC your doctor. Um, so make sure that they have a copy on their record so they know that you wrote the appeal. Um, and basically go through this in a few paragraphs. So in the beginning, you know, mention the fact that you, the insurer, whether or not it was, you know, insurance company ABC, denied this whatever, treatment. So they know exactly what this is in reference to. Um, Next thing is explain briefly, you know, we don't need a four page because they're probably not going to spend the time to read it, but briefly in one paragraph, the problem, you know, describe your symptoms, your pain, your suffering, your decreased quality of life, the impact on work, the impact on school, um, the problems that you're having from this issue or disease um, or medical problem that you're dealing with. So they kind of understand this is the problem with the patient and you can describe, you know, how painful it is for you, what symptoms are, um, and how it really is affecting your life. Next important paragraph is to explain all the things that you've already done and tried. Because, you know, if maybe the doctor didn't document or you don't explain all the things that you've tried and you're jumping to some, you know, really expensive surgery, you know, they might go, hey, well, why didn't they try XYZ? So go through and explain all the things that you've done. Did you try over-the-counter medications? You know, did you try prescription medications? And if so, which ones? Did you try physical therapy, a home exercise program? Have you had injections? Have you had other tests, lab tests, x-rays, CAT scans, MRI, ultrasounds, EMGs, et cetera, whatever tests you've had? 
And have you seen specialists? You know, did your doctor refer you to other medical specialists for additional evaluations and treatments? So you can make it well known that you have done all of the appropriate medical care up until this point. And then you want to put in there really importantly, restate that this is your doctor's medical opinion that they recommend treatment ABC or the surgery. Um, So they understand, again, this is your medical doctor's professional opinion that this is what you need because they're the ones that are caring for you. And then, because they've denied it, um, you want to bring up, and this is where you're going to have to do some research on why the treatment that was ordered by your doctor is the recommended treatment. So you're going to look at, for certain diseases, national or international associations. You might look at big health centers like Mayo Clinic. Um, And what you're going to do is go through and say why these associations and these groups and these medical experts have all stated that this treatment or this test or this medication or this surgery is the standard of care. And, you know, by putting in that this is the gold standard, that it's not experimental, uh, and that this is the treatment after these other conservative things have failed, all of which you have already tried, it makes the point that this is the appropriate line of care for the problem that you're dealing with. Um, And after all of that, you know, sometimes these insurance companies are still going to deny it. You're, You're open to do a second appeal. And maybe by then you've thought of some other things or maybe you've tried some other things that have then failed or you've gotten more information and you can put all of that in there. And then sometimes you're even able to do what's called an outside um, or tertiary appeal from an outside group. And a lot of times these are binding. Um, So what will happen is that you gather all this information, all this data, and it's really important, again, to believe that, you know, no one else is going to send it. They may but get copies of all your records, tests, and put all those things in there in order in a series of documents, make it very organized, and send it off to this third party and let the third party assess the insurance company for their denial and reasoning behind it. Um, And then all the information that we've just talked about as to what you've done, what you've tried, what your symptoms are, what the standard of care is, in the hopes that your insurance then changes their opinion and approves your treatment or approves your medication, or approves your surgery. Because at the end of the day, you know, really, you're the one suffering, and the only person that really sees you in the whole picture is the doctor that's taking care of you. So you have to trust that, you know, their opinion, with their medical expertise, knows what's best for you, not somebody sitting behind a three-ring binder at an insurance company that's just looking at some records. Even more important, if you get a second opinion, and you have, you know, two experts in a subspecialty that are both recommending some treatment. But again, at the end of the day, it becomes more expensive for you because it's time, it's effort, maybe time off of work, time out of school, another copay. Um, and if you have copays for tests, you know, all that starts to add up at the end of the day. So hopefully, um, that's a lot of information. And, uh, you know, definitely talk to a lot of doctors nowadays. Um, they can get pretty uh, heated with their opinions on um, healthcare in America and insurance companies and middle management and healthcare institutions. But, you know, again, I think the reason when you talk to a lot of doctors and you say, you know, do you like your job? And most of them will say, well, yes and no. I love what I do. And that's for me. I love taking care of patients. I love doing surgery. I love seeing people get better. And that's what most 
doctors will tell you, they love that part of the job. You know, there's a lot of other stuff that comes with it, and that's all the stuff that none of us like because it is frustrating because we know it's best for the patient. And sometimes there are barriers in the way that don't allow us to do what we believe is best for our patient. This hasn't been referred to as burnout. A lot of times people are talking about doctors getting burned out, but it's actually what's called moral injury. Um, the moral injury that doctors are suffering is kind of uh, in, in comparison to, they've talked about this back in wars where you know young soldiers would go into war and they felt they were doing the job because they were doing what was right for their country and in doing so killing the enemy but because they were killing another human being, it was this huge dilemma, this moral injury, because they were doing something bad, but they were ordered to, and in some ways they thought it was good because it was what they were told to do or what they were fighting for. And you know, a lot of um, people are now using that term in healthcare where a lot of doctors um, are having this moral injury because they're trying to take care of their patients. And around every corner, is someone or some group of people or some organization that is making that more difficult and blocking the ability to make our patients healthier or better. Um, so um, take all that in stride. Um, but uh, if you, unfortunately, are the person that does go through the process where a treatment test or medication or surgery was denied by your healthcare um, insurance company, work with your doctor, gather this information. Hopefully they can get it approved with a appeal or peer-to-peer review. And if not, be your own best advocate. Write a letter, make a phone call. You know, sometimes you've even heard these stories of people, you know, finding local media news. Um, you know, you hear about these, you know, horrible stories of, you know, kids that are deaf that can't get cochlear implants and things like that. You know, but it hits the news and I think the insurance companies balk due to the bad um, publicity and they allow those kinds of things. But hopefully um, nothing terrible like that has to happen to you. And hopefully all of your denials get approved and hopefully you continue to stay healthy. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe if you like what you're hearing um, and you think somebody else would enjoy it, please send a link on to them. Got some uh, good other um, episodes coming up. We're getting back to, you know, things about your knee and things about exercise. Um, So keep exercising, keep eating healthy, stay out of trouble, and I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to Your Knee, Your Health. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.